The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. If you have your Bibles, turn in your copy of God's Word then to Romans 8, 29 and 30. Romans 8, 29 to 30. It's been a few weeks, like I said, but we return to this summer series that we've been uh, working our way through this summer in the greatest chapter of the Bible, Romans 8. We just have two messages today and then next week, and we'll complete the greatest chapter. But just to recap, if you're new with us or since it has been a few weeks, here's what we've seen along the way that we are no longer condemned in our sin. Praise God for that, right? That we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit comes and makes his home in us. And as he does so, then we're adopted into God's family in a family with new privileges and a new way of living, a new way of thinking. But even as we are in God's family, we live here on this earth. And while we live here, uh, it isn't always uh, the most pleasant, that life has its moments of suffering. And those sufferings, and we groan and we wait and we hope for glory, a greatness of glory that is yet to come. And while we are waiting for this glory, God has helped us by giving us his spirit who not only indwells us, but helps us by praying for us in those moments, praying for us sympathetically, groaning alongside us and praying specifically according to the will of God through those moments. And his goodness, God's goodness and his sovereignty is what anchors us in those moments when life is behind all of that. The guarantee of God's salvation behind what we have now in these uh, trials in our life here and now. Our verses today are those unseen, immovable mountains below the water that our anchor latches tightly to. So let me just read them here for us. And just for context to help us remember, since it's been a few weeks, I'm also going to read verse 28 because it is attached here, but our focus will be on 29 and 30. Follow along in your Bibles and just listen here as I read. Work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, this is God's word for God's people. These are some great verses here. Some great verses, like I said, that are the unseen, immovable mountain. Let me just give you the central truth of these verses. The truth that sums these verses up that teach us that the Spirit intends for us to take away. And it is this. It's on the screen here, but it is this. From first to last, God's grace is at work to save us. Let me say it again, from first to last, God's grace is at work to save us. Praise God for that, right? Praise God. What we've seen this morning as we've sung these songs and heard these baptisms, it is God's grace that has been at work in these two uh, young boys' lives, and it is also what has been at work in us to save us. Now, that's the central truth, and I attach the the context of verse 28 here for us because it is so important. As we will get into 29 here uh, for a second, uh, we have to, like, look at this first word, for. 
Now, if you're new with us or you've forgotten, I've said this along the way, but Romans 8, if you were to read through it, the whole chapter is like this series of what is in Greek known as the gar clauses or four. And what they are, what these fours are, is kind of like trailer hitches. They like attach to the, you know, to the, the truck or the car in front of them. And we have multiple of them throughout the whole uh, chapter here, really the whole book, that are building upon, they're making a case, they're making an argument here. And this is, this is the thing, the context of the verses, that, we, uh, that I just read for us here are really set in the context of suffering. It actually goes back even beyond verse 28. The context here is important. These are truths that anchor us, that hold us fast in the midst of life's uh, suffering, in the midst of life's difficulties. These aren't truths to make us arrogant or feel elite about ourselves. Like we are somehow uh, more special than any other person in the world. These really are stabilizing doctrines for unstable times. For the moments in our life where we feel unsettled, often these verses here, 29 and 30, are referred to as the golden chain of salvation, unbreakable and anchoring in life's storms. And the thinking behind them is, as if we're tracing the flow of thought here, is that the same God who is sovereign over our salvation is the same God who is sovereign in this situation. He's leading us to that as he's saying, okay, here are the moments where we don't know what to pray. We don't know what God's will is. But what anchors us here is we know that God has been sovereign. He is good to save us so that now, even when I can't see, he will still be good and sovereign. As if he's saying here that when I was drowning in my sin, he rescued me. So too, now while I'm drowning in this situation, he will also rescue me. Paul will go on in the coming chapters here, and this will be a truth that will anchor him in chapters 9 and 10 when he is grieved about his lost family members. And Israel, who is so close, knows these things. They have this knowledge, but no zeal. Their heart is not transformed. It's an anchor for him when he is grieved for those Israelites, his kinsmen, who don't know Christ, and they are truths that motivated him to preach all the more, to live more faithfully, to be proclaiming the good news. God's grace from first to last that is at work to save us. So let's look closer now at the verses to see these things here, to see how his grace is at work. And here's the first point. God loves us with purpose. God loves us with purpose. Write that down. Write it in the margins of your Bible or in your sermon notes here. And look what it is here. See, he loves us even when we uh, don't see it. He is at work in the moments when we don't know. For we know that he did the greater good of saving us. He will do the greater good in these things. And these things are uh, as good as done. Now, there's something that you should know, even as we go through uh, these, uh, there's five verbs in here that uh, we've, uh, you heard me read, foreknown and predestined and called and justified and glorified. And, and I'm just going to get a little uh, technical here. I don't normally do this if you're a guest with us uh, today, but I think it's so important for us to understand here. In the grammar of these verses, it's, it's so important because they're in the aorist tense. You're like, the what? Aorist tense. In verbs, in, 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 uh, in, our, in like English speech, we have past, present, and future, right? I say, I ran yesterday. That's in... Past tense, right? I am running. Like, eh, I don't know if I'd call that running, but 
You know, it's jogging in place, right? It's present, or I will run tomorrow is a future tense. But in, in Greek, there's some different tenses here that are a little bit more complex that don't readily come out in, the, in our English language here. And it is a sense here that what has happened in the past has, is, is timeless, really, in their effect or their outlook. They look to the completeness of the action. And so now, while these things have been done in the past, they are continuing their work in us now, and they will see this uh, completeness in the future. And so in all of this, it is a package deal. And so why do I say all this? Because these are truths that if we're saved in Christ, these are things that we love even now, even when we get to the point here at the end of being glorified. And notice who is the one at work in these things. Who is it that is foreknowing and predestining, calling and justifying and glorified? It's God. He is the he in these verses. He is the acting agent in these verses to work these things out. And this really is important for us because it squashes just all the independent, self-sufficient tendencies that exist in us. But it is so important because without God doing these things, we don't have the same certainty of the promises in verse 28. All things working together for good is an empty phrase, if not grounded in the guarantee of his complete control over all things, including our salvation from first to last so god has saved us with purpose what purpose well god works all things for a purpose doesn't he god isn't just ambivalent about what he does in life he isn't just uh, kind of traipsing about going through you know eternity with uh, with no plan or or purpose but we see his love all throughout the scriptures will complete the promise that he made to his descendants abraham there through uh, being a blessing to all people through his land and through his, this, uh, these people. God, Jesus continues on. We know this as he made the church guarantee or church promise with a purpose. In Matthew 16, when Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. See, here's the thing. Jesus has, is, and will continue to be about the work of planting churches, of building them up. This is where, in the church, is where God has put all of his eggs for the gospel proclamation and kingdom advancement through uh, human history. It's as good as done. He will continue to do it. As it comes to our salvation, it is the same here that God is, or has, is, and will continue to be the one who guarantees our salvation. This is good news, is it not? This is good news for we know the fickleness of our own heart. And so how does he love us with purpose? Well, let's look at these words here. When it says here, he began with this idea of foreknowing. Or or we could say to to know beforehand. Or in the biblical sense, it's really we could could also translate this as to forelove. For to know somebody in this sense in the Bible isn't just to like, oh, hey, I know this person. I know Eric. He's a nice guy, right? To know his reputation. No, in this sense, in the biblical sense, it's much more deep, much more personal, much more intimate. We read in Genesis uh, 4, verse 1, it says, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. That's a different kind of knowing, isn't it? It's a personal, intimate, relational love or knowing that exists between two people. And it is the same knowing that is uh, captured in uh, God's love for his people in the people of Israel. In Amos 3.2, he says, Only you I have known or chosen among all the families or the nations of the earth. 
So the fact that God has loved us in salvation, he knew us beforehand according to his own free will. He set his love on us. This is really the glorious truth. And note here the object of this foreknowing or this love. It is not our, he doesn't, it doesn't say he foreknows our actions. He foreknows our good deeds. He has known you yourself. If you are in Christ today, God has known and loved you. See, he loves us with a purpose. Not because of anything, really just his love for us according to his great mercy. But he loves us with a purpose, the first of which is captured in the next link in the chain of being predestined. See, look, this it says, for those he foreknew, he also, he also predestined. See, captured in this uh, definition of foreknowing is God set his love on us. But the idea of being predestined is God set us on a new trajectory. He set us on a new trajectory. See, all of us, every human born uh, since Adam has been born on one trajectory, ending in eternal separation from God, ending condemned in our sin, namely in a place culminating in hell. And we couldn't do anything about it. This is what Paul in, in Romans 1 through 3 labors to make the case. It's Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 summarizes it more succinctly. And Jesus summarizes it in Matthew 9, even more in the words he looks at humanity, he looks at the crowd and they're harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. This is the trajectory that all humanity is on, is on. But God being rich in mercy sets his love on us and sets us on a new trajectory in our life. Totally changing both the course and the destination of our life. But changing the way that we think, changing the way that we act, changing the circles. We're on one trajectory and couldn't do anything about it. All right, like my kids like to build these things called geotracks familiar with them they're just like plastic kids trains they're super awesome we have way too many of them and they, you know they take up you know the whole living room here but they set up and like it's the train we're just on this track until christ comes and like picks up the train and puts it on an entire new track sending us on a new trajectory a new uh, endpoint, a new way of living and thinking see this is the glory of being saved god loves us with a purpose sending us in a new trajectory and one that is also involves our sanctification see look come back to the verse here he says those whom he foreknew he also predestined to what to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers another purpose here is our sanctification that we would be conformed that it would culminate then in the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. That's what it means for he would be the firstborn among many brothers. The firstborn here is not that he's like literally like the first one born, but a, a, a way to say his positional authority, that he would be the one that is exalted. He would be the one, the primary one receiving the inheritance. He would be the glorious one. And this is what God is doing now in us and through us as we wait and groan. God's grace to us, not leaving us according to our old sinful way of living, not leaving us here to uh, just uh, go about life without hope, without purpose. But God loved us enough. He's working out our faith so that our muscles are growing more and more. Our spiritual muscles are growing to look more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be conformed, to be in the image of another. He'll pick this back up in chapter 12 in Romans to say, don't be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So all of us have this, we, we, it's easy to look by, like the world. 
It's easy to fall in line with the image of the things of, uh, of uh, what are politically uh, you know, right or socially acceptable. But rather, what God is doing in us, he loves us with purpose. He is sanctifying us so that we would be conformed. And he's using these things. Remember, he's using the suffering. He's using the trials. He's using the moments when we don't know how to pray ourselves forward for these purposes. We would become more and more like Christ. See, in other words, we're saved to look different. Just like you heard in the testimonies of how their life is changing, how they have new ways of thinking and new ways of living in this life. They're more like Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. We do all this not so that we look good, but so that Christ looks good, so that he would be the firstborn, so that he would receive all the glory, and this would work out for our good. See, he loves us enough. He loves us enough that we would not, he would not leave us in our sin, but he loves us purposefully. Or see, this is another way that his grace is at work in us. Let's continue going on. See, he saved us. He rescues us also from our sin. Look, he says, those, those whom he predestined, he also called. See, God put new life in us. Not only has God set his love on us, not only has he set us on a new trajectory in our life, not only that, but by his grace, he puts new life in us. This idea of calling here is not like picking up the phone and being like, hey, what's up? Nor is it even in a more spiritual sense of the gospel call that we go and we proclaim that you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ and are being called to respond. But see, here's the thing. When God calls, we answer. When God calls, we come. Just the story of Lazarus in in John 11 is a vivid example of this, a picture of God calling someone from death to life. What he did in that story, in a physical sense, he has done in each of us in our salvation, spiritually speaking, when we were dead in our sin, he has made us alive now in Jesus Christ. He called us out of that. It was his summons that we then answered to in the book of Romans as well in chapter 4 verse 17 like we referred to a few weeks ago God is calling into the things or into existence things that do not exist namely faith it is a call that creates faith and justifies it is a call that God announces when we were drowning in our sin he calls our name plunges his hand down grasps our limp bodies out of the water saying I'm here you're mine you're safe puts his lips to ours and breathes new life into us. It's in those moments here, God's grace at work to save us in that moment of regeneration that we're brought to life, but also set free from the eternal consequences uh, that our sin against God required. That's where the next link comes in. He rescues us out of that by calling us into new life, but also now justifying us. See, it says, and those whom he called, he also justifies. Now, this is a doctrine that is elaborated thoroughly all throughout the book of Romans. It's really, if you were to say, like, well, what's at the basis of Romans? Like, what's the central theme of this book? It's this doctrine of justification, more like any other place that God is both just in his dealing with sin and the justifier of those who sin. To to declare somebody righteous. It's a transfer, an imputation of Christ's righteousness or his goodness, his holiness on us as the undeserving sinners and our sin back onto Christ to be paid for at the cross. That's a pretty good deal for us, right? It's a pretty good deal for us that God has saved us like this. 
chapter 8, verse 1, as referred to earlier, is really kind of the summary of what justification is all about. That therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's good news, is it not, church? That's God's grace at work in us. And so what is Paul doing here? Well, he's showing the place of justification in the chain. Where, where do we stand with God? See, to be justified really is a positional theology. It's like, okay, in relationship to God, where do I stand today? Am I a sinner? Am I righteous and saved by grace? We're in Christ. We're, we've been declared righteous. We've been saved by grace. It's a defining the relationship type term. The divine DTR, if you will. Where do we stand? How do we know? What is it that in our relationship? We do this all the time in our relationships. Remember when uh, Gemma was born a number of years ago and Malachi was three and uh, we brought uh, him into the, the uh, what do you call that, the labor and delivery room. And uh, he first meets her and all that. And the first words out of Malachi's mouth were, I don't want her. Now, she quickly, you know, uh, won him over and all that. But there was a moment where in that relationship, they, they were not, they were at odds. There was no love there. Until then, now, obviously, her standing, her position in our family is very clear. You know, she is us. All of our children is loved and protected and valued and cherished and delighted in. She is my daughter, Aaron and I's daughter, and she is deeply loved, as are the others. And see, for believers in Christ, our position with God is clear as well. We're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. He has placed this on us, but for unbelievers, your position is equally clear. Condemned by your sin and rejection of Christ. But God's rescue of us from our sin is thorough. It's as thorough as it is complete here. See, as we think of our justification here, how does he justify us? We've said it a lot, it's by faith, but here's just kind of a scope of the Bible. You can write these things down. We're justified by grace. God's undeserving favor poured out on us here. We didn't earn it. We didn't work for it, but he gave it to us anyways. We're justified by his blood, by the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice, the substitutionary atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross in our place paid for our Standing, but justified by the resurrection. Romans 4, 25, it says, Christ was raised for our justification, showing that the sacrifice was approved and irreversible. The same way that Christ can die no more, neither can our justification be taken away. We're justified by faith, faith being the conduit by which this grace flows to us. As we respond to these things in faith, it is like the, 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 the pipe or the straw upon which we receive then the grace that God has won for us in Christ Jesus. And it's demonstrated then, remember our new trajectory is demonstrated, this salvation by our words. In Matthew 12, 33 through 37, he talks about out of the overflow of our hearts, no longer in line with the world, but now in line with Christ, but not just in the things that we say, but also in what we do. In James 2, he talks about us being justified by our works, not meaning that our works are what save us, but now that we are saved, again, our trajectory is different. And so how we live our life is very different, showing that we have a changed heart, a changed standing, a new way of living, a new family to which we belong, a new identity for us. 
And see, where the rubber meets the road in all these things is really at this level of our identity. God working his grace in us to save us means that we now have a new name, a new way of living, a new identity by which we identify by. And this is really like, this, this flies in the face of our culture today because everything is about our identity. Everything is about changing our identity. Or, you know, there's kind of two like uh, fundamental beliefs in our culture today, like this idea of be who you are or you can become whoever you want to be. On the one hand here, this idea of be who you are, it's like, this is the way that I am. You just have to accept me for who I am and don't ask me to change. Don't ask me to be any different. Here's the reality. According to the gospel of following biblical truths here is we are made in God's image. Though we're corrupted by sin, this is our identity. As a believer, your now identity is in Christ. You're justified, declared righteous. You now have a new trajectory in your life. And so we can now be who we really are and it's time to live like it. Our words and our works reflect then this true identity, this new identity in Christ. We've been raised with him. This idea of you can be whoever you want to be has really taken our world by storm transgender ideology and every other fad that kind of has come and gone. It's not anything really new. You know, it exists in even a smaller way and other things like, oh, I want to be a cowboy. Well, I just need to change the way I dress and buy a few horses and I can be a cowboy, right? Or a hipster or, you know, an athlete, a golfer, whatever you want. Mentality, just change your clothes, change your appearance, change your body, change your anatomy and be whoever you want to be. And yet the gospel answer to this is you are a new uh, creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We don't have to stay in our sin and old patterns of life. We've been set free by Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit, through this grace uh, given to us. And this justification has opened the door for us to live this new life, a conformity to Christ that culminates then in glory. This is ultimately what it's about. This is where we are headed and this is what we are looking forward to, the final and future way where God's grace is at work in us. See, God's grace is at work to save us from first to last. He loves us with purpose. He's rescued us from sin, but it doesn't just stop in the here and now for the final link in the chain is one for the future. See, here's the final point that God loves us fully and forever. Fully and forever. This final link, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, this is a very interesting thing here because this is something that is yet to come. As we think of glory, he talked about it earlier in the chapter here. It's something yet to come, and yet he's uh, speaking of it as if it's as certain as it's already been done. Though realized in a day yet to come, yes, it is as good as, as done. Because look at here, church, look at here. God always finishes what he starts. He will bring it to completion. It may not be on our timeline. It may not be right now, but God always finishes what he starts. There's no details that he forgets in our life. Every base, when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to every situation in your life, every base he has uh, seen fit to cover. He has secured every angle. He has freed us from sin's presence and he will set us free forever into Christ's presence. With no stone unturned, no detail forgotten. See, really this idea here of glorification is the consummation of our salvation. 
what we look forward to in glory. All the other links in this chain here are leading up to this final point. The first four are just really the means to the end goal of this complete redemption that we look forward to one day. See, all the others are leading to this final point. Like I said, they're the consummation. All the other links are really speaking to the positional change. But now here, glorification is really the physical change that will take place in us, the complete, fully, and forever change in us. Now think about this for a moment. When we get to heaven and we are freed from sin's uh, presence and in our glorified bodies and perfect, we will be glorified without being deified. Now that's like, you're like, wait, hold on. I'm going to have to think about that precisely. Think about that for a little bit. Make that the conversation of your lunch uh, uh, topic today where we will be in heaven glorified, perfect without being deified. In other words, we're not becoming gods in that sense. We will be glorified fully and completely bodily, spirit, our whole being here. And so we're, here's, here's the thing now, church, like, and oftentimes when it comes to our salvation, we're thinking in terms of what is uh, we are being saved from. We're being saved from the wrath of God. We're being saved from our sin. We're being saved from a life of misery and devastation. But we must also think about what we are being saved to a life of holiness now, a life of, of grace now as we live this life, a life of glory forever in, with the Lord, free from this sin and now in Christ's presence. This is what we wait eagerly for now, don't we? As we come back to it, uh, for our suffering in verse 23 of this here, it's really rounding out the teaching of this chapter. He's showing it in context, what gives us the hope and lessens the pain as we wait. That's a confidence that we have, right? So what is our prayer even in the moment? Our prayer is, uh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, for that is the blessing that we await. It's the silver lining that every believer has. We wait for this glory. And so let me just summarize these. I talked about these a lot through the message, but here's, uh, here are the definitions on the screen for you of these uh, five words to see. Just take a picture of it. You can try to scratch it down uh, real quick if you want. But for God to foreknow us, look at the, uh, again, that God is the active agent in each of these. His grace is at work in each of these from first to last. He sets his love on us. He sets us on a new trajectory. He puts new life in us. He sets us free from sin's penalty. And he sets us in his son's presence. And this church, doesn't this give us amazing confidence in the here and now? This gave this amazing, it, it, it should stir our affection and our worship for Christ in the midst of all this. As we sing songs that we know and love like Amazing Grace. It should not just be uh, uh, humdrum songs that we just kind of go through the lyrical motions to sing. But rather, we realize who we once were, knowing what we do about the devastation of our sin, knowing where we were headed. We really then, these verses bring us to ask this question, why would God save anyone? These questions, this, this, these verses really bring the answer to that question in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and that church is guaranteed that church is good news so let's sing to the lord now worship him for this 
amazing grace. Bow with me in prayer as we prepare to sing. God in heaven, here we are, amazed that you would save us, amazed as we think through these uh, theological truths, these doctrines of grace at play, that you would love us with such a great love, that you would have our best in mind to save us from our sin, and that this would have such substance. We, We don't have to fear losing it, I don't have to fear in this life of getting out of, uh, out of your good graces, so to speak. But you would work this in us for the praise of your glory. And may you stir our hearts in this today. May this not just be a theological exercise through some doctrinal truths. But would this be a worshipful, a worshipful exercise? We think of your love for us. Lord, even as we process through, may our thinking through it, would we love you more and more? May we plead with you as we recognize our our dependence upon you to save. May it lead us like it led the Apostle Paul to, to greater fervency in prayer for those that we love. May it lead us to greater motivation to speak of the glory and the free offer of this salvation. We know your work is sure, God. We know your work is gracious. And so find us faithful messengers of this good news, this amazing grace that you have given to us. Jesus, be magnified in our lives as you are in this service. I pray these things now in Christ's name. God's people said, amen.